Hello, welcome to the Glass Tire Art Dirt Podcast. We are back. I'm Rainy Knutson. I'm Christina Reese. We got a kind of a juicy one for yeah, you. Yeah, this, this is this is what's <laughs> in the news right now. This is what's in the art news in Texas in, right now. In Texas. So Art Dirt Podcast, where we discuss uh, topical art topics of, <laughs> of the day. You were in Austin earlier this week. I was, I was. It was the opening of Ellsworth Kelly's Austin, as it's called. AKA the Ellsworth Kelly Chapel on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin. And so they've had a week of, of extravaganzas as they unveil this thing to the public. And uh, what it is is a freestanding building um, situated right next to the Blanton Museum of Art on the UT campus. And um, they're quite proud of it. It's a big deal. It was quite expensive. And um, it's been in the news. It's been in the New York Times. It's been in Texas Monthly. Texas Standard did a podcast about it. It's all over. You know, we should probably mention that the project was started while Ellsworth Kelly was still alive, mm-hmm. and uh, but he died in 2015, and so it's been completed after his death. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there are some people in Austin who are hoping that this is going to... I don't know. It feels very aspirational uh, in terms of the way they talk about it. We've finally arrived. This is a oh. symbol that we've... There's a lot of... Um, you know, now we're in the big time kind of talk around this chapel. You know, for me, though, what's what's a little bit strange or there's some dissonance around it because I don't I don't want to associate Austin with that kind of aspirational. It's almost a it's not a vanity project, but for the for, for sort of the money and power cart, cartel behind a project like this, it reminds me a lot more of a Dallas thing or a Houston thing mm-hmm. rather than a kind of a grassroots Austin thing. Do we really want Austin to become <laughs> more like Dallas? <laughs> Too late, honey. Well, so so let's talk about this, what this thing is. Just for, for mm. anybody who hasn't seen it, you can go online and find images of it easily. But Ellsworth Kelly, very... Uh, famous minimalist American artist, I would say most well-known for a body of work that was a very much a rigorous, lifelong exploration of form, color, abstraction, um, looking at the world and extracting what he saw in its sort of simplest and purest form. Would you agree with that assessment? Sure, sure, sure. I'm a big fan of Ellsworth Kelly. I, I, I like his work very, very much. I mean, I've got three tattoos on my entire body, all visible on my forearms, and one of them is an Ellsworth Kelly shape. So, uh, you know, you're not going to get any complaints from me about him. Yeah. Anyway, he had, he never did anything um, uh, this big. He never did a building. So anyway, in the mid-'80s, Douglas Kramer, who was the TV producer of Dynasty and the Love Boat of famous memory, Uh, and was a big, apparently, Ellsworth Kelly collector out in California, commissioned him to do this chapel on his property near Santa Barbara. And so Kelly did the design for it. And for some reason, and I'm curious as to why this is, and I haven't been able to find out why, Douglas Kramer did not build the chapel. But in any event, it sat around uh, in Kelly's studio for decades until finally some people in Texas, you know, demonstrated an interest in actually, like, scraping the money together to get it done. Um, in, I will say in the New York Times uh, article about this, there was this air of inevitability that it ended up in Texas because of the light of Texas and the mentality of Texas. And I was like, that's, it ended up in Texas because people in Texas were willing to pay for it and get it done. That's exactly that's right. Why it would have been Ohio or Colorado or anywhere else if somebody else had gotten it done. 
Anyway, um, and this week there were quite a few, you know, laudatory sort of, I would say, fluff pieces about it out there. And this has been interesting this week because the Blanton has, in my opinion, kind of created a problem for itself in one very key element of it, which is that they don't want to call it a chapel. We all called it the chapel for these last however many years leading up to it. Maybe cynically so, but there seem to be a couple of issues around whether or not it can be called a chapel. Uh, you know, the Blanton and UT is working very, very hard to brand this thing under its official name, which is Ellsworth Kelly's Austin. Leave the word chapel out of it. <laughs> if, if there were ever a name that were begging for an like, exclamation point at the end, this is it. <laughs> I mean, Ellsworth Kelly's Austin! And I, just, be, I want a row be... of can-can girls like coming out of the entrance, ushering me in to my rainbow-hued experience. I, th- I think it should either be Austin with a period, like it's a big declarative, <laughs> or it should be Austin with two exclamation points. Oh, yeah, that's extreme true. extreme in one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's been some stuff bandied about that the reason it can't be called a chapel is because it's on a state university campus, that, it, you know, that there's the separation of church and state it means that legally it cannot be called a chapel. That's one thing that I've heard. Yeah, and I, I, so I had heard the exact same thing, and I know I heard it from someone at the Blanton years ago, and I now I even can't remember who it was who told me this. So I asked Simone Wicca, who's the director of the Blanton, and I said, I know somebody told me that the argument was that you can't have a chapel on a government, state, you know, uh, university campus because of separation of church and state. Uh, and of course, that's not true because Texas Tech has a chapel and Texas A&M has a chapel and the University of Houston has a chapel and those are all public state universities. Anyway, when I asked her about this, she she claimed that this had never even occurred to her and this was not at all the reason why they weren't calling it a chapel. You know, so the, so the, the reason they're not calling it a chapel, then if that's not the reason, would be one of two or three things. One is they just really want the branding of Austin, the word Austin. And by the way, Ellsworth Kelly didn't go to Austin. He never went, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they're really, really intent on calling this thing Austin, despite the fact that the man himself, the artist himself, doesn't have any particular investment in the city. Um, Another thing that I've speculated on is if the if the Blanton is going to charge the public to get into this thing, and I believe that they they are. are. No, they are, they are. Then I'm not sure that they can call it a chapel. Well, they I'm can, not sure they can. They just, they just, it's just gross. <laughs> no, we're you charge you. We're going to charge you to get into our church. Hey, well, yeah. there are European churches I think that are starting to charge admission. Some of the biggies, but you know, I mean, like, yeah, they're to so to get into the chapel, uh, you have to purchase admission to the Blanton. So they're very clear that it's included with your ticket to the Blanton mm-hmm. Museum mm-hmm. but then when you go over to the chapel which is right next door to the Blanton there will be an attendant there who takes your paper ticket before you can go inside. Yeah unless you're part of the UT campus unless you're a student or faculty or it's, whatever. If you have a UT ID you get in for free which you also get into the Blanton for free. So right. yes and they said and the majority of our of our visitors are UT students so they all get in for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for you and me and any member of the general public, we have to buy a paper ticket and hand it over at the door before we enter this, I guess, not sacred space? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, and I know that they want the public to show up. I mean, this is a, this is a big, you know, kind of advertisement for the city. This is probably going to be big with the tourism board, et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting that they're choosing to, to charge. You don't have to pay to get into the Rothko Chapel, by the way. 
No, uh, and we will talk about the Rothko Chapel in Houston, which is, I think, the most obvious corollary to this. But back to the issue of whether or not it's a chapel, it's very funny because I find that the people at the Blanton are now just sort of almost truculently saying, well, people are going to call it whatever they want to call it. And I just my response to that is like, no, people are going to call it a chapel because it is a chapel. It's, it <laughs> because is it feels like a, a chapel. Romanesque groin vault in the shape of a cross yeah, with rose, rose windows, stained glass windows, stations of the cross. It's got this wooden totem where the altar should be, and it's the only th- wooden thing in the whole room. And, you know, oh, by the way, when you look up at the ceiling, they have lighting installed in the ceiling in the shape of a cross. When you look at a, a recent campus map and the bird's eye view of the building, it's in the shape of a cross. It quacks like a duck. It walks like yeah, a duck. I know. It's a chapel. It's probably one of the reasons I've been so not interested in it, despite liking Ellsworth Kelly so much. Well, it's interesting because Ellsworth Kelly himself was an atheist. He wasn't interested in, in religion, but clearly he was interested in the form of religion at the very least. Yeah, the the art historical context of the way these things, of the way these buildings work. And, you know, paying homage to that after becoming increasingly, you know, interested in the cathedrals, in Europe, that makes some sense to me. I, I won't. I won't argue with his original intention necessarily. No, I mean, and look, this gets into this whole thing, which I, I've written about in the past, of the religion of contemporary art, where <sighs> instead of churches, we have museums and it's hushed spaces, and we have the acolyte class and the and the priest class of patrons, and they wear black and they go on pilgrimages all over the world to visit their art sites. So it's it is religion for a lot of people, I think, and this notion of spirituality in the art. Which leads us to the Rothko Chapel in Houston, which is like the most obvious, again, corollary to this. The most interesting thing about the Kelly Chapel for me has been that it has caused me to really reevaluate what I think of the Rothko Chapel, which in the past I have described as the last gasp of a suicidal imagination. Because, of course, Rothko killed himself right after. That was his last thing he did before he killed himself. But I, I think the Rothko Chapel is about death. It's very dark. But what's interesting about the Rothko Chapel is it has a very visceral emotional impact. And there is a notion of the sublime in it. And there is a notion of, a, of an explicit sort of spirituality that I think is lacking in the Ellsworth Kelly Chapel. The Ellsworth Kelly Chapel feels sacred in the sense that any church you go into or any mosque or any temple feels sacred and you should speak with a hushed that's my problem really with any of these kind of buildings is that there's a there's a prescriptiveness to it in a way that you walk in and you're meant to be somewhat odd and it's meant to be sublime you're meant to be contemplative and meditative and you know I've spent my entire adult life trying to get away from religiosity (laughs) and running toward the art world because it's the chaotic you know immoral strange place that it is I don't want to be told how to think and feel Mm, about things but and, there's you know, this huge we, branch of the art world that loves to tell you how to think and feel. Absolutely, increasingly so. And I so these monuments to a single artist's vision that are meant to inspire this kind of awe and quietude is not is never the most interesting thing about the art world to me. No. And I mean, I don't I don't respond particularly well to these kind of spaces. I get bored very easily. It's just not ever going to be the most interesting thing about the city of Austin. It's just 
I don't I don't know. Well, it's tough. I mean, it's sited right next to the Blanton, like next to the Blanton. And they said this, that they were, everyone was very clear that Ellsworth Kelly himself picked out the site. I've been told that he was very happy with the site. Well, that's probably, I, I will say this about the site. You have the Perry Castaneda Library on one side and you have Jester Dorm on the other side. And those two are the two single ugliest buildings on the UT campus. As a former <laughs> UT student, I can attest to this. So you got two really ugly concrete buildings in the background of it. But but in any event, the nicest thing about the siding, and I will say this, it's very nice, is when you walk out of the building, you have an almost direct line view down Congress Avenue to the Texas Capitol, um, which is which is a beautiful building, and I love it. It's sited where it's sited. I, I understand that there's some tree cover that interferes with the interplay of light inside the building at certain times of the day. That seems to be a little bit against the purpose of the building itself, but uh, because I haven't been inside it since it's been done, you have. Mm. There, uh, there is an oak. There is an oak tree uh, that covers up one of the the west facing rose window, um, and I asked Simone Wicka if they considered cutting it down, and she was evasive about that. But I'm sure they, of course, did consider cutting it down. Or oh, I'm sure they considered it, but it's also a UT campus. It's the middle of Austin, which is the most tree hugging, you know, city in. Texas, and there would have been some pushback. Yeah, there would have been pushback. They're just going to wait for that tree to grow old and die, and then they won't (laughs) replant another one. And in in a hundred years, that will happen. So yeah, anyway. It's fine. My main thing about the Kelly Chapel is I just don't think it's that special. I don't think it's that great. I don't think it's the culmination of Kelly's career, except in terms of just the amount of money they spent on it, which is another thing. I, I think that when I think of Ellsworth Kelly, I will continue to think of his shaped canvases and his works on paper as his great contribution to art history. Um, and it, it really won't be this this chapel building. Which, I mean, which to me, uh, I agree with all of that. But I also want to, I guess I still am interested in, if I'm not particularly interested in the chapel, I'm, I am interested in this idea that certain people who paid a lot of money to make it happen are so invested in the idea that the chapel is going to be kind of a turning point in the image of Austin as an art city. Mm. It's just, to me, that's not what's interesting about Austin. I don't want to, I don't... People don't go there to make art pilgrimages to foo-foo art buildings. Well, apparently plenty of people in Austin would like for it to become a pilgrimage site <laughs> through Ellsworth Kelly's Austin exclamation point. Two exclamation points. South by Southwest already made it a pilgrimage site, so. It did, but I, you know, I like to associate, I mean, the reason I go to Austin and what I associate Austin with most heavily is the artists who live and work there, and it tends to be a pretty young scene. There are a lot of artist-run spaces. You know, while Ellsworth Kelly's Austin is opening, I'm sitting here not thinking about Ellsworth Kelly's. I mean, I'll indulge this conversation because it's timely, but I'm far more concerned with, you know, what's going to happen to Flatbed and what's going to happen to Pump Project and what's going to happen to Icosa and what's going to happen. You know, to me, it's like, okay, so you've got this big, shiny new monument while you're grassroots art scene is dying. dying they're dying and all the nonprofits and artist run spaces are just getting priced out i don't think that it's a kind of zero-sum game in terms of you spend 23 million dollars on this thing in austin and that means that the grassroots art scene has to die I no that's that, true that it's not know, like that money would have gone we always say this it's not like the money would have gone to these artists and art spaces otherwise absolutely not. They, they, it wouldn't no, have it no wouldn't no have. so you're gonna have this you're gonna have this big shiny monument that, that tourists are going to go to, but it doesn't make Austin a better place to live and work. No, it doesn't make it doesn't make Austin a more livable city whatsoever. Artists will always find their way. They will always make their way. They will find new cities, new neighborhoods. They will find a way to survive. 
And I don't think that artists in Austin should be getting, you know, handouts for living space any more than anywhere else. This is the nature of the game. We're just seeing time taking its toll on a city that's reached a certain age where it's starting to look like Dallas, the youngest. Yeah, we're starting to look more like Dallas. It it does look like Dallas. You know, you go to Austin now and and you can smell the money in the air and it's exciting and there's energy and there's clearly stuff going on and lots of young people in restaurants and it's just, it feels very alive and and, um, energetic. But it certainly doesn't feel unique or interesting in the way that it used to. Oh, no, no. It's a, it's so, it's so considerably changed that it's unrecognizable to me at this point. So I, my, having been inside the Ellsworth Kelly Chapel, both in daylight and in nighttime, and I would strongly encourage anyone who wants to visit to not go at night because the energy efficient lighting they have in the shape of a cross on the ceiling is very flat and sickly and ugly in that building. It's, it's not <laughs> pleasant to go in there at nighttime. But during the day, uh, there is a beautiful glow, as there often is inside a church. The walls are warm. The rainbow-colored light comes through. Um, it's very pleasant. And there are two very spare benches, if you can find them, where you can sit. And What else do you think is successful about it? Oh, I think the most successful thing about it is actually the Stations of the Cross. That's that's the, the successful yeah. thing. And these, these are 2D wall works. And they are out of Ellsworth Kelly's very, very, very long-standing uh, investigation of black and white. And he, he was working with black and white, at, in, I think, from the earliest days of his career, certainly from the 1950s. Yeah. Um, so these are all these black and white... Um, marble pieces they are not I thought they were paintings but they're actually Carrera marble and they represent the stations of the cross and they're actually quite literal I mean even though they are abstract you can see oh in this one and in fact the PR person who walked me through this face said well this one is the actual crucifixion and there's a line down the middle that's the cross and then there's the one that's all black that's when he dies and then there's the one that's all white that's when he ascends to heaven so it's actually the narrative of the passion is in these abstracted black and white um wall works, uh, which, be that as it may, I don't think that's either here nor there. I think that the wall works, I think they're very beautiful, and I think it always helps when you use luxurious uh, materials. So the one responds to the warmth and beauty of that stone and the like tiny flecks that you can see in it and the way the rainbow light is reflected on the surface of it. They're just really, really beautiful panels in there. As a fan of Ellsworth Kelly, I, that's what I'm most interested in seeing. I don't, I'm not so interested in the chapel itself. I am interested in these pieces. Of course, the pieces wouldn't exist if the chapel didn't exist, so it's, you know, it's sort of the cat chasing its tail. But, I mean, the reason I want to go is primarily to see that. Those. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that the um, stained glass itself is all that interesting. One person I spoke to said, this thing wants to be the Rothko Chapel, but it's that chapel in Dallas. What's the chapel in Dallas with the spiral that's really... Oh, you're talking about Thanksgiving Square in um, in, da- in Dallas, in downtown Dallas. Mm. That's Philip Johnson. Yeah, again, I mean, stained glass to me just screams church, of mm-hmm. course. You know, this whole thing to me feels like these kind of monuments to this, the art world sort of egoism of individual artists as well as the donors who can afford to make these things happen, it feels, it's starting to feel very dated to mm. me. I don't think they're going to stop. I mean, I, it dated, sure, but it's also, this has been going on as long as there have been pharaohs and pyramids and whatever. Yeah, okay. So monuments to various egos is timeless is what you're saying. 
<laughs> that is what I'm okay, saying. Okay, but I'm saying that in a in a sense of what cities and what museums choose to go forward with as a as major projects, as major expenditures, this is starting to feel a little staid, a little old school. Mm. Well, it, the explicitly sacred spaces, you know, especially that, and they don't like the word that sacred because that that smacks of religion. So they use the word spiritual. I just think that there's something very closed about how, what our response is supposed to be to these kind of interior sacred spaces. Yes, and 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 Terrell is actually Exhibit A of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, another corollary would be the Robert Irwin out in Shinati or any number of Robert Irwin installations. And <sighs> one thing I will. S- <laughs> I will oh, say wait, this. What are you talking about? Uh, oh, Irwin. I felt the Irwin is a very literal thing, but I know that it's not meant to be a literal thing about the passage of life to death. But I do know, I think, I do know that Irwin assiduously avoids religiosity in his Yeah, work. and I don't get that. I don't get that off of him. The thing that I get off of the Irwin and, and Marfin, I've been there three times, is that it's, it really is kind of, it's about the architecture and the line and the light and the history of the the building that's no longer there, et cetera. I don't get the religious thing off the Irwin. I'm not excited by it, but um, to me it's a little different. It's a little more in keeping with the spirit of the kind of, of Judd, basically, which to me is not at all religious. It's it's more in keeping with the spirit of the intellectual endeavor of minimalism. Yeah, minimalism. Which which a chapel a chapel with, with stained glass is not. It's to me, and it's also just it's a it's a kind of an architecture fetish thing that's going on with Irwin, and I like Robert Irwin. I don't, I mean, I don't think that's his most exciting project uh, out there, mm-hmm. but uh, I like Irwin, and, and his concerns don't bother me too much. But I still think that these kinds of these kinds of single artist monuments, they're really just they're kind of like artists just practicing their reflex to be architects. <laughs> <laughs> What I really want to do is direct. It's really an extension of, of that kind of impulse, that kind of ownership, domineering impulse. Like, I am going to build a monument to myself that will not go anywhere and that everyone can come and visit while I'm dead. Uh, the, look, the art world loves its religion. It loves its own religion, <sighs> and it loves to worship at the shrines. So now Austin has a shrine. <laughs> well, for the record, I'm, I'm tired of it. Uh, I, and for the record, having seen it myself in person, it's okay. It's just okay. okay. I mean, I, I will I will say Carter Foster, the curator at the Blanton, has put together an exhibition to accompany the opening of Austin that um, traces the both the black and white pieces and then also Kelly's chromatic sort of investigations, including grids of color, of squares of color, including stripes of color, many of the things that he used, again, at the stained glass. Whether that shows that Kelly never got past what he was working on in the 50s or whether it shows that he was very committed always to the rainbow spectrum in all its iterations, I will leave it. I will leave right. it to you to interpret. Interpret. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that particular show. Uh, yeah, there, he, well, he, as he should, he got some major pieces out of major collections, MoMA, Agnes Gunn. So, there, I mean, there's good works in it. It's, the, the show's worth seeing. I enjoyed it. And there's some totems as well. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, it's, that's, that's what's going on in Texas. That's what everyone's talking about in Texas. And everyone who wants to can now go see this uh, And this for building. the price of admission to the Blanton, you can get in with your paper ticket. 
Or you can you can uh, go to school at UT and it'll mm, be free yeah you could enroll. I hope that they eventually get away from paper tickets. Like use a sticker. Everybody does it. It's not that hard. Use a co- different colored sticker for each day. I'm sure no matter how you know pot addled your your student at the door is, they'll be able to say today's green, not red, and let people in. <laughs> you know, I'm sh- I'm sure they will find their way of of the most the most efficient form of of, uh, you know, regulating admission. Maybe it'll be a sticker, maybe it'll be a ticket. They'll figure this one out pretty quickly. Yeah, they are figuring out. One thing I'll say is, you know, I asked Carter Foster about programming in the chapel because, of course, the Rothko Chapel is used heavily and they have yoga and funerals and weddings and they do stuff in there all the time. Is this one going to be available for that Well, he of... said there's currently no plans for um, any kind of programming and the space is small. I think the fire occupancy is only like 80 people. So they're not going to ever be able to fit large crowds in there. Um, But I have a feeling surely they're going to use it for events. Surely they're planning to use it for events. If it's not a chapel, then they can rent it out. Isn't it possible that the reason they're going to charge admission is because they need to make up the budget somehow and they're not going to be able to do it by staging uh, outside events? And so the only way to make this thing profitable at all is to charge. Well, I don't know that it needs to be profitable. I mean, I, I wonder if that $23 million includes an endowment for its upkeep. You would, you hope, would hope so. so. We, one, one would hope so. But, you know, what's, what, what I think also is they're going to they're gonna take advantage of the fact that for the first couple of years there will be bigger crowds for this thing. It's new. It's novel. It's, people are going to want to see it because of that. And the Blanton itself can make a pretty nice profit off the fact that the crowds are going to come. It's always fun to work at a very large scale, and it's always fun to have a big impact. And I don't blame anybody for wanting to, you know, do something important. I just think that what we, what the world doesn't need is another secular church of contemporary art. The world doesn't need another church. <laughs> I don't mean to sound so cynical. I, it just doesn't catch my interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly fair. It doesn't catch my interest, but I went to see it. And we'll all go see it. Yeah, and, and I will say I, I wasn't excited about it when I saw the maquette of the thing. I've, I've never been excited about I was, this. I was never excited about this. I don't know why they felt they needed to do it. With all due respect to Ellsworth Kelly, I've never been excited about the chapel. Austin! Austin! We need to write a song for Austin. Maybe figure skaters. Maybe they can put in an ice rink on the inside. Now that would be appropriate. All right. Well, uh, on that note, um, gang... Have fun out there in the art world and in the world world. And um, it's been a busy week of news outside of the art world, as it all as it always is. As uh, it's been. Yeah. But um, it's nice to take a break from the the shit show of world events and mm-hmm. like concentrate on something that seems, in some ways or in most ways, really pretty innocuous on the mm-hmm. world stage. Yeah, yeah. So with that, everyone, uh, have fun out there. Go see some art. Go see some art. Go see some art.